0: Psalm 14, to the choir master of David. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all sinned aside. They have all turned aside. Together they become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread? And do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. This morning's sermon, we're going to take a look uh, at uh, Romans 1, verses 16 through the end of the chapter. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world as invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and forfeited animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust and for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind, to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, and maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil mindedness. They are whisperers, backfighters, haters of God, violent proud, boasters, and veners of evil things disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgments of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. We thank you, Lord, for thy word, and we pray that you apply it to our hearts. Give us wisdom in your Son's name. Amen. So. We're going to take a look uh, at especially verses 18 through 25 Um, and Paul starts his discussion here as he gets into the meat of the book of Romans and I know uh, Pastor Lee preached on this a few years ago and so hopefully some of it is is things we can uh, recall from memory but uh, he starts his gospel uh, presentation with, with the gospel, verses 16 through 17. That is the good news, kind of a truncated presentation of the gospel. But we're mostly concerned this morning with, with verses 18 through 25 and what, what the problem with man is. The, the sermon is, is titled God Doesn't Believe an Atheist. And we see that from, from these verses in 18 through 25 of, of Romans 1. And this largely arose because of a, a conversation I had at, at work with a, a gentleman who claimed to be an atheist. And uh, he said, I'm, well, I'm an atheist. And I, I said, well, no, you're not. And it did take him aback, as it usually does. Uh, and... And he kind of stumbled around for a minute and he said, "Well, you know, I I reject the Christian idea of God." That was kind of my paraphrase. He okay, he might not be an atheist, but he, he does reject the Christian idea of God and and he just doesn't like the New Testament at all. You know, he thought the Old Testament was all right, but the New Testament is awful. He didn't like that whatsoever. So, um he just rejects Christ. And and this section of Romans gives us a, a synopsis of what the problem is. Why don't people believe and and how does this end for them? Now, a famous atheist, and he's so famous I cannot remember his name. Uh, or a professed atheist. I, I, I like to use professed. Um, and if anybody knows, I mean, I, I thought it was Bertrand Russell, but I could find... No uh, example of him saying this, but uh this atheist professed atheist said, you know if God would just come down here and perform a miracle in front of me, you know, kind of like a circus act uh you know then 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 i would I would believe uh now Bertrand Russell did say, and i I do think he's the author of that quote uh I just maybe I didn't google the right uh the right words to have it pop up but uh uh, you, you know, he also went on to say that unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. So here is a professed atheist just announcing to the world that this is all purposeless. That since he doesn't believe in in God, that it's it's all a bunch of hooey. But the goal of life is to be nice to each other, and he does have some conception of a some eternity of the soul. That's just really weird. It's just really jumbled. And it plays into exactly what we're going to be reading. Uh, pre, uh, talking through here Romans 18 through 25 where it's just people just don't make sense. Once they say they reject God it's, it just becomes a jumble. So why is it that people don't believe and what, what's the problem? And we read in, in verses 19 through 20 that God has made himself known in them and out in the world out in the universe it is an internal and an external witness it's not God's fault in any way that they don't believe he's made it clear to them he's manifested the knowledge of him in them what does Genesis one twenty six teach us from the very beginning of scripture it tells us God created man in our image, in his image God said, let us create man in our image. What is God speaking of there? He's he's speaking of the the triune God. That's a conversation within the Godhead. God has created us in His image, so we have an innate understanding that, that God exists. We know this. Everyone knows this. Bertrand Russell knows this. Nietzsche, who said, God is dead. He knows this, or He knew this, I should say. Nietzsche is dead. God is alive. They know this. In fact, Romans 2 verse 15 even tells us that there's in some way that the, the law is written on everyone's hearts, even, even the heathen. Not in a way that saves them, of course, but, but as a witness. they're conscious bearing witness that God is God and He exists and He has a law, morality. And what is more is creation bears witness. Even of of the Trinity, the Belgic Confession tells us this in in Article 2. We know him by two means. First, by creation, preservation, and government the government of the universe, which is before our eyes as a most elegant book, wherein all creatures, great and small, are so as, as so many characters leading us to see clearly his invisible attributes, even as eternal power and Godhead, as the Apostle Paul says, all which things are sufficient to convince men and leave them without excuse. Creation bears witness of God. The heavens declare the glory of God, the psalmist says. It's evident in, in the birth of a baby, in the birth of a giraffe. Study that sometime. That's amazing how giraffes are birthed. Just the arrangement of the universe, the sun going up and down every day, or however you want to describe that. I mean, it's, it's obvious that God exists. Everything goes as it goes Before. Everything happens like it was designed to happen. So, because of their ignorance, and verse 18 also talks of their unthankfulness, the result of this is that God's wrath is upon them. God's wrath is certainly something that takes place in eternity but just as eternal life begins when we trust in Christ. The wrath of God bears upon the the wicked in this life as well. And God's wrath is upon them. They cannot complain against him. The canons of Dort, Articles 4 and 5. If I can find that because I forgot to bring up my book my form, three forms of unity that were all marked out but uh, the canons teach in, in the first head of doctrine article 4 the wrath of God abides upon those who believe not the gospel this gospel but such as receive it and embrace Christ as Savior by true and living faith are by him delivered from the wrath of God and from destruction and have the gift of eternal life conferred upon them Article 1 teaches that all, that as all men have sinned in Adam, lie under the curse and deserving of eternal death, God would have done no injustice by leaving them all to perish and delivering them over to condemnation on account of sin according to the words of the Apostle that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. There was an illustration I heard earlier this week or read earlier this week uh, concerning a, a governor going down a... Uh, Death row in a prison, and you know, just the idea that there'd be a hundred men there or folks there, just to make it easy to understand. And the governor walks down death row, and he pardons Bob and he pardons Fred, and that's it. Has he shown injustice to the other ninety-eight? Well, I mean, they would think so, but objectively. Would that be unjust of the governor to not pardon all 100? Why no. It's a wonderful act of mercy and grace that he pardons the two. The other 98 are going to get their just punishment, like the thief on the thieves on the cross said to one another, the the thief that trusted in Christ. It's pretty much what he said to to the other thief, wasn't that? We deserve this. He does not. And so this, this wrath that's upon them is, is not something they can blame God for. And in fact, ultimately, when, when they come to perdition, if they've not trusted in Christ, they will acknowledge Christ as Lord. Philippians 2 tells us that. They will bow down. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They won't do this in a way that uh, uh, saves them. They'll just be acknowledging the truth. And then they'll probably go gnashing their teeth forever against the Lord from that point on, after acknowledging His existence, which they already knew but rejected. And then they will, after they acknowledge this, they will they will be cast into hell. This is a very serious matter. This wrath of God, the situation of of every one of us that has not trusted in Christ, and we can see. As I said, the the wrath of God is on on the heathen in this life. It's not just something future. There are tangible signs of their rejection of God and they they have no excuse. Once again, we have to remember that. Uh, It tells us that uh, because although they they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God and were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing be wise, they became fools just as in the time of Noah, Genesis 6, it says every imagination in the hearts of men was evil continually. And this is the situation even today. This has not changed. We have not improved. You know, when you think about the, the crazy things people will believe. I mean, I, even when I professed atheism, I, you know, years ago, I, I thought Darwinism was stupid. I mean, it just makes no sense. It's just really Goofy. Um, and and we have uh, we had one scientist, I think it was Arthur Clark who who talked about uh, you know the world came from uh, a theory called spermogenesis. It was the aliens, the aliens came down and planted the seed on the earth, and we came from the alien seed, which begs the question, does it not? Where did the aliens come from? It answers nothing. Spontaneous generation. The idea that life just emerged out of the goo and the slime. This is what, what my friend at work was was speaking of. Yeah, we just emerged from the slime. That's where we came from. I, what? That's crazy. I mean, paganism... Which manifests itself in many forms through, through through climate change hysteria. We're back to believing stuff about the weather that the the medieval people believed. The LGBTQFAX whatever movement doesn't even know what a woman is anymore, <coughs> unless you're a biologist. Apparently, they all became biologists when when uh, the high court. Decreed that it wasn't a constitutional right to 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 murder a child. That, that it might be okay in the different states to murder a child, but it wasn't a federal constitutional right. They all became biologists then. But uh, uh, you know, we don't even know which which restroom to walk into anymore. We are so deranged and crazy. And. And we see that that Paul is calling these folks fools and foolish, and that's a serious accusation. Remember what Jesus said about this very thing? He says, whoever says, you fools, in danger of hell fire. That's from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. But Paul is showing here that, yeah, people can be fools. Psalm 14 starts off with, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So there is a point to where people are fools. Scripture clearly teaches that and and what's what's crazy is that when, when people reject the true worship of Christ, of the triune God, they don't just you know go off on their own and do nothing, they worship. They worship harder than we ever dreamed of. They turned to idols, to idolatry. It's the natural regression of the heathen. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. I mean, they'll work all day creating a, an altar or an image. Of Isaiah mocks them uh, in the passage where he talks about they use part of the wood for... Uh, for creating a fire to cook their food and then they use the rest of the wood to make an idol. They become fools. And they worship, even if it's worshiping themselves, an idea. Psalm 14 shows us this pattern as well and we read that earlier and we'll just briefly take a look at at Psalm 14 because you can pretty much see most of this psalm repeated in the book of Romans where there's a chapter 1 here that might very well be what Paul is thinking about when he calls these folks fools Um, and then chapter 3 has most of the rest of Psalm 14 uh, quoted in it but Psalm 14 we read for the chief musician the Psalm of David the fool has said in his heart there is no God they are corrupt they've done abominable works there is none who does good the Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand who seek God they have all turned Aside, They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread, and do not call on the Lord? There they are in great fear, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You shame the counsel of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come on to Zion when the Lord brings back the captivity of his people. Let Jacob rejoice, and Israel be glad. We have the same story in the Old Testament as in the New. People are foolish. They're corrupt. They're sinful. They turn from God. And what's more, reading different uh, different folks about this passage, this might be about the Jews in Israel at that time who are corrupt and, and eating up the poor uh, and and just turning to idols or this might be the heathen. I don't see why we can't say it's both. There certainly were corrupt men in in Israel who were uh turning aside from God and worshipping idols and 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 trying to destroy God's people just as the heathen. There's always a battle between the wicked and the heathen and and, and God's people. And it will be a great day when When the Lord brings back the captivity of his people. When instead of being slaves to sin, we are slaves to Christ. As, as Bob Dylan said, you got to serve somebody. You serve Christ or you serve Satan. So, the end result of their wickedness, well, okay, the end result of their wickedness is, is the their destruction and perdition, their destruction in hell being cast there. So I suppose this isn't completely the end result of their wickedness. This is while they're still on this earth. What is what is going on with those who uh, have turned from the Lord, who have rejected His clear evidences internally and externally? What is it they engage in? What is it they do? How is it that we know they are fools? Well, we read that God gives them what they want. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. He gives them over. And you can read about... uh, We read verse 26 and 27, that ultimate application of that... Um, You know, sodomy and such. Uh, God gives them over. That's what they want. Everybody gets what they want. Everybody chooses what they want. In Christ, you choose righteousness. And we still sin, we know. But generally, we are free to choose righteousness. In Adam, we choose wickedness, death, and sin. God gives them over what they want. They're doing what they want, they can't complain. And so we, we we see the problem is not uh, wisdom in a worldly fashion or intellectual arguments. They're they're not going to be swayed by a cosmological argument for the existence of God or the moral argument or uh, any other argument for God, that's, that's really not going to help a whole lot. It might get them to believe in a God, but that just brings them so far. The problem as this passage teaches is sin. They reject the truth in unrighteousness. They suppress it, actually, is what it says. Uh, and then they reject it. But they, the, the truth is, is in them. The law of God's written on their hearts. They know God exists. And, and so it's not a matter of being convinced of this. They know it. But they love their sin. They revel in their sin. They have parades for sin. They're prideful of their sin. Evidence or, or clever arguments can't really win the sinner to Christ. And, I, and this is kind of where my discussion with this gentleman, uh, the professing atheist, ended because I think work happened as it does at work, and I didn't get a chance to apply the, the gospel to him. Um, but the, the, the answer is, is, is the gospel. That is what people need. Um, evidence and clever arguments. Are, there, there, there may be a, a, a time and a place to briefly engage in, in such things with someone um, but so many times it, it gets to the point that they throw up their hands and they know that their arguments are goofy and they'll say you know well can God make a if God is so great can he make a burrito too hot to eat as I had one person ask me one time or can God make a rock? too big for him to lift. And it's like, no, now you're speaking nonsense. Well, that, that's, no, don't speak nonsense. That makes no sense. God can't do that. It makes no sense. Um, but I, I know from personal experience, uh, uh, I used to love all these, all these different arguments and study them and, and, and a lot of the folks I would read and listen to, uh, uh, pastors of theologians of people that taught apologetics you know defending the faith they would say you know hey you, you know if you're going to understand uh, where this person is coming from with this belief you've got to study this book if, you've gotta, if you want to understand what the Jehovah's Witnesses teaches you have to read all their stuff you've got to immerse yourself in these things and man that just it was like a burden weighing me down I was learning everything except Christ I was reading goofy literature about things that uh that don't matter as much. And then then I I, I saw and read this uh uh debate and where the, the theologian just applied scripture and the gospel to a professing atheist. And it was the most wonderful thing I'd ever seen in my life. Uh and I realized, oh man, that's right. That's the way you do it. We don't have a common ground to meet the heathen on, the unbeliever. They believe one thing. They have a theology. Everybody's got a theology. And it informs all the evidence that comes into their life. Um, there was a study done recently that uh, said one thing and all those who are in favor of it that this study rejected just no 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 no. That's, we don't believe that study there's some studies over here you're going to believe based upon your theological convictions so the point of the matter is the unbeliever needs the gospel he needs his convictions uprooted and turned around and we must not give them any, any ground. There's not neutrality. The only real common thing we have is that we're created in God's image. And that's where we work from. You know God exists, He created you in His image. Therefore, repent and believe the gospel. See, the great lies. In this world is not that people can determine their gender or all 57 of them or whatever. It's not that Epstein didn't, didn't kill himself, nor that Elvis is alive or anything else. It's that, that men have a reason to reject Christ and reject God. That it just, There's no evidence out there for them. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. This is based upon their sin and their, and their depravity. And Heilberg day three, does a great job of exposing this. Questions seven and eight. From where then does this depraved nature of man come from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise? Whereby our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. But are we so depraved that we are completely incapable of any really good and prone to all evil? yes unless we are born again by the Spirit of God. Because our, our hearts are an idol factory, Calvin said. And I was he was just paraphrasing Ezekiel 14. If you get a chance to read that, do it. It's awesome. Idols don't have to be great images of animals or gods or people. Idols can be microscopes, telescopes, isotopes, popes, or anything else apart from Christ. Even family can be an idol. Our great and only hope is this gospel that Paul laid forth in verses 16 and 17. He is not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith Christ and his righteousness are what we need this gospel is so powerful Paul is putting this forth at the beginning of his great theological epistle It is so powerful. It is greater than the Greek mind and philosophers that he always makes reference to. It was more powerful than the Roman emperors that he was, in a way, directly addressing here. This is the seat of power of the world in Rome. And Paul was writing this from from Corinth. And yet... We know that in a few years he would be in the emperor's palace chained to guards proclaiming boldly and with power this gospel that turned Rome upside down for Christ making it a beacon of light for generations. The power of the gospel is unparalleled through the power of the Holy Spirit. Then we see when we read in in Psalms 14, verse 7, that the power of God's people worshiping Him is is something we need to take away from this. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord brings back the captivity of His people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel. Be glad. It is here every Sunday... That we repeatedly celebrate Christ's victory over sin, death, evil, and the corruption and evil of this world. Every Sunday on the Lord's Day, we come forth and declare Christ's awesome power. We declare the day of the Lord. And it's interesting that it doesn't say in Scripture that, that the gates of heaven will withstand Satan's advances. No, it says that the gates of hell will be broken down. They cannot withstand the power of the gospel. And that starts with our worship as a family of God, God's covenant people. And we see also that the, the bold witness of how powerful are bold witnesses? And, and we see uh, Paul in this truncated uh, gospel presentation there in Romans 16, but I think it might very well be birthed out of uh, what we see when he was preaching to the philosophers at Athens. And verses, uh, I'll start at verse 29. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. But now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. While others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined with him and believed. Among them, Dionysus, the Arapagate, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Our bold witness of the Gospel shakes people to their core. One way or the other, it's the great sifter of souls through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we and we have to know that it's it's not through once again, it's not about us. It's not about us. It's not clever arguments that are going to win anybody. It's the power of the gospel. I mean, Paul was pointing right to their sin. Their ignorance, calling a bunch of philosophers ignorant. That's pretty bold. Their sin was their ignorance of God. Which Paul was talking about Romans 1, 18 through 25 we know God exists the unknown God that they said they were worshipping they know and Paul made that clear to them you know this God but our witness lest we be confused and and get discouraged because people aren't responding to our arguments and words it's about Christ and if we are faithful and boldly bringing forth his gospel we pray the Holy Spirit does his work God will do what he will he will save those whom he means to save and we can rest that we We're blessed to be able to partake in His work. So, let's remember the Gospel is about God. And the wicked have no excuse for rejecting Him. Let's pray. We thank You, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are awesome and give us everything, all the time. People are without excuse. We were without excuse before you, before your Holy Spirit turned us to you. I pray that you would give people new hearts that that don't love you and who know you exist but reject you in unrighteousness. Turn their stony heart to flesh, Lord. Please and help us to be bold witnesses, both on Sundays when we proclaim your greatness and your glory, and then, and then as we go throughout the week, not worrying about what to say, Lord, but just sharing the simple, powerful gospel of Christ. I pray this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.